1: You haven't heard about the McCrispy yet? Well then, you probably haven't heard the sweet silence after the first crispy bite either. Go try it for yourself to hear the best not sound you've ever heard.
2: Hello everybody, this is Andy Richter and you have tuned in again to the three questions. I am the host and this week we are delving into the archives, uh, doing the best of here. And this week I am talking to one of my favorite people on the entire planet, a Mr. Jack Black. I talked to Jack back in July of 2022, and here is that conversation that I had with the truly great Jack Black.
3: I had some joints uh, and and then my wife, I went out of town and my wife hid my joints so that our sons would not find the joints. And when I was looking for my fancy tape recorder, I keep it in this case, I was like, something smells like joints. And it was, this is where she hid the joints and (laughs) forgot that she hid my joints. I found my joints.
2: All right. Yay. Everything. This is, this is such a happy reason to to do a podcast. Now that's, that's worth the price of admission right right there. Thank God your sons don't want a podcast. (laughs) Let's put this where the, where the podcasting machines are. They'll never find, you know, one time, one time, my son, um, his room was in the front of the house. And yeah. it was, a, it's an old house. And like the mail slot would come through into like a cabinet built in in his room. So, you know, like you could, you had, everybody had to go into his room to get the, the mail. And he and his boyfriend are laying in w- bed one morning. And I just kind of poked my head in because they're asleep to, to get the mail. Yeah. And right in front of where the, ma- where the mail slot is, is a gigantic bag of weed. Like, it, like, it looked like a half ounce to me. And I just was like, pre- and I, he was awake. And I was like, just pretend to be intimidated by me. Pretend <laughs> to be afraid of me. like Don't leave it in the only place in the room where I have to go. You know? Yeah. But isn't
3: it better than secrets? Isn't oh, it better oh to be oh, yeah, able yeah. to? I'm just yeah. kidding.
2: Absolutely. I, I mean, yeah. it's, it's, yeah, yeah, no. And I mean, also too, uh, my parents, my parents, you know, they, 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 were, they didn't impose hypocrisy, you know? So it's like, yeah, my parents drank like fish. Like when they were teenagers, they drank cocktails. <laughs> they didn't drink beer. They were drinking like Manhattans and Rob yeah. Roy's and shit. I don't even know how to make. And there, and so like when we, when my brother and I got we're like, yeah, drink beer, just, you know, be careful. If your friends are too drunk, they can't go home, you know? Yeah. That kind of thing. So, yeah. All right. On a podcast. Hi. It's great to see you.
3: Thank you. Does it bother you that I'm like unshowered? No, not at all. I can't see. It, it doesn't matter. Cause really, this is about the audio. No, one's ever going to see no. my bed head. No, no, no.
2: I make the bed just for you. <laughs> like the bed that's behind <laughs> me. I made it for you. Not Thank for the, you. I don't care about these people. They're not going to see this. Are we already recording?
3: Because yeah, yeah, I feel like is, okay, I'm podcast. way behind. Okay, now I'm I'm recording now, so I'm also recording our podcast. All right, then as we a got the first part covered.
2: Well, uh, what was it about show business that first grabbed you? You know what? Because you grew up out here. You grew up in yeah. in LA.
3: Well, this is in, getting, in this business, is getting really. dangerously close to the three questions.
2: That's the idea.
3: Okay, so here we go. We're going into phase 1 right now. We
2: are. We are. We got the Good, initial stuff over with.
3: I like to uh I like to um put the chapter headings when that when I see them coming
2: okay. up
3: uh, in neon lights. Chapter 1. Question number 1. Yes. Where did Jack Black come from?
2: Yeah. What is Jack
3: Black? The my initial pull. Story. Yes, the origin story, the pull to the industry. Well, um I my first memory of putting on a show mm-hmm. was uh, in the living room of our house in Hermosa Beach, California, just south of Los Angeles, just mm-hmm. just outside of Hollywood, but close enough. Beachy, that you could feel the energy beachy, yes, yeah, but you could feel the energy of Hollywood, the machine, the the center of the entertainment universe, right, right next door. Uh, and my parents were, um, progressive aerospace engineers. They worked at Whoa. TRW and they were very smart, but they were also folk dancing, Middle Eastern folk dance enthusiasts. <laughs> <laughs> That's how they actually met
2: really? they met folk
3: dancing. And then I was like, oh, I'm an aerospace engineer. What? Oh my God. Me too.
2: <laughs> Something like married. that. Let's get married.
3: They got married and it was a groovy time, you know, uh, in the late sixties. And, and I was born in 69 and, and, uh, they moved to Hermosa beach, California. And my earliest memory of putting on a show, we were in the living room. It was me, my mom and dad, and I wanted to recreate my birth. I think I must've been like three or four years old. Yeah. And I put a blanket over my mom and, uh, and I would come out of the blanket <laughs> crying. And then I wanted them to play their part and be like, oh, a baby, we love you. Oh, it was very strange. But I really got a kick out of, of, of that recreation. And then that evolved. And I, I started doing a show for them, just for them. They were the only audience members where I am born and then I grow up and I have like a life as an adult, and then I die. (laughs) I did my whole life for them, a a one-man show. Right, right. And they just got such a kick out of it. They thought I was so funny, and (sighs) I guess that was the beginning.
2: Yeah. How long was that? I mean, uh, do you remember what your adult life was like in the one-man show? Like, what did you do in the one-man show?
3: It's very foggy. Yeah. There's a lot there yeah I don't remember. I think that I graduated from school and then I think I was driving a car. I don't think I had like a job. Any, yeah, I I don't remember getting married or anything in my Yeah, I I wish that there was a tape of that very first Jack Black performance, but mm. It's really lost in the sands of time. Yeah, yeah. I could call my dad and ask if he remembers any of it, but for sure his fog is thicker than mine.
2: <laughs> yeah, that's, I, uh, when I was a little kid, um, I avoided going to bed by doing uh, Carol Burnett bits, recreating Carol Burnett bits for my grandma. Yeah. And she would become incapacitated with laughter. Oh, my God. Uh, and it was like, that's, a, like, that's just fucking power. Like when you Dude, make there's a-
3: no there's no um more powerful um a, a sense of confidence that you can get than when you're a kid doing it trying it out for those early times when you're trying to put on a show if you've got a family member or someone who's just loving your shit, yeah yeah, I don't think it can be overstated how yeah. how much that can carry you through the rest of your life, yeah,
2: and it is like it's you know you don't want to look at it as being like completely transactional you know like hey if I do this like if I push this button I get some candy Uh, yeah but it is kind of like it still does sort of have that aspect no matter how long you do it or in what in what venue it is still kind of like well, if I go do this, I get this good feeling. And, you know, I, I like that good feeling and, you know, it's, yeah, it's pretty fun to make people happy. You know, it is, it is, I have said before it's, it's the physical manifestation of happiness. Like it's like in terms of like the short, the short term goal of like, or the, you know, like the, the, you know, the very succinct goal of making people happy in life. Like, you're making it they're making the noise that mm-hmm. happiness is, you know, like you're making it make that noise. <laughs> so well, it's yeah. like
3: you know, when you're very young, when when is the first time you feel that that pull to have a purpose, to have something that you are good at so that you there is a meaning for you to exist right? That's what we're talking about. These are big, heavy things, you know, and when you first put on a show, there's that hope like, well, wait, maybe this is why I am. maybe this is what I'm supposed to do. And uh, if you if you have some success in that, just like in anything, if people like what you do, if you like you you you're a carpenter and you made some cool like little fort, it, that that uh, that sense of accomplishment or a job well done is one of the most powerful things that a young mind and young person can have. And mine, yeah, was definitely very, from a very early age. It was putting on a show was, was was a main thing. I mean, I had other stuff I liked to do. I like to draw hmm And uh you know, I you got still a little, draw a lot. Yeah. I still draw. I got and I and, yeah. I and I got some love for that, but yeah, there was something about getting getting those giggles and those chortles that was extra special.
2: Did you ever bug your kids or bug bug your parents because you were, you know, in showbiz town like to be a child actor of any kind? Like
3: I remember, yeah, I was jealous of other kids. Like there was one kid in particular who was in that movie, Real Life, by Albert Brooks. And I uh-huh. was like, oh, man, if I could have that. And my stepfather, many years later, when I was like 10 years old, uh, said uh, he could drive me around to auditions if I wanted. I was like, yes, I do want that. And then he took me around. And and so I did that circuit as a young child actor. I was, look, I have to confess, Andy, uh. I was a child actor. Oh, okay.
2: No. Are you happy? Uh-oh. Now you know. Now we know where the damage is from. <laughs> oh, I wish but, uh, I could hug you. I
3: loved it. And uh, I loved going on auditions. I really did. Even yeah. if I didn't get the part, if I got a laugh in the audition, I was just high all day. Yeah. And I, I'd go, go on auditions for commercials, everything. There was no pickiness. It was like anything and everything. And uh, I got a commercial. That was my first professional Paying job, and I got into the Stag Union when I was, uh, uh, I think I was 12 years old. Um, Wow, 1982. That would have been like the same year that Jeff Bridges was in Tron.
1: What? (laughs) Yeah. Wow. That's
3: how
2: far back I go in the industry. (laughs) The ascendancy
3: meets. (laughs) So, yeah. Um, And uh, I also. Went on auditions for plays, yeah. and I weirdly auditioned for a play, uh, called Inside Eddie Binstock. And it was playing, it was in a coffee shop in Hollywood, a crack in the wall place called The Deja Vu Coffee House. Definitely not there anymore. And uh, <laughs> it was directed by a young, fresh out of UCLA Tim Robbins, what who is a world famous Tim Robbins from. Uh, escape from the prison movie that everyone loves.
2: Yeah, sure. Shaw, uh, the, the Rita Shaw, Hayworth, Shaw Green Mile, and the no.
3: Shaw Shack Redemption.
2: Yeah.
3: Um, and uh, yeah. So anyway, he he directed that, and I just looked up to him, and I was you know twelve or thirteen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, I did that for a while, and and then uh you know i did theater in high school did a lot of musical theater so that was like the beginnings of tenacious d is you know mm-hmm. the mixture of music and comedy and theater and uh and then i went to ucla i was a theater major at ucla not a good student mm-hmm. uh i i, I didn't uh, my parents didn't you know Bribe anyone? There was no, but there, there, there was definitely some strings were pulled because I did not deserve to be at UCLA, but I, mm-hmm. I got into UCLA theater, and uh, and I, I slept through all of the lectures, I, and uh, I was kind of going through the motions because my dad really wanted me to have a diploma, so I yeah, had to yeah. try. And then I basically bailed on college and I went off to do theater with the Actors Gang um, company who was uh, started by Tim Robbins, who I had this connection to from 10 years earlier when I was 12 years old. And uh, we went to the Edinburgh Theater Festival and, and, uh, and, uh, and that's where me and Kyle first met to start Tenacious D, my rock band, comedy band.
2: You met in Edinburgh, or you met at the Actors Gang?
3: We met in the Actors Gang, yeah, and we were both in Edinburgh together, and um, so yeah that that uh, that's kind of what led to my first movie role was Tim's first movie that he directed called Bob Roberts. That's
2: the first place I remember seeing you, and I have oh, so you saw
3: my first role?
2: I did, and I remember like. Seeing you in that, you making an impression and then seeing you in subsequent things and going, oh, that's that creepy guy from Bob Roberts. Because <laughs> you played like, I mean, you basically played like uh, the the precursor of all the fucking, you know, dead eyed right wing people on the Internet now. Like, yeah. you know, young, young maniac, shaved head, Travis Bickle, you know, Republican guys. Yeah. Yeah, before there was
3: MAGA Nation. Right, exactly. I predicted it with my performance, <laughs> Bob Maybe, Roberts.
2: Do you think you caused it?
3: I Are think you that- Bob Roberts could have been. Yeah, that that would be a cool one for Tim to do a sequel to Bob Roberts because it seems a lot of that has come true in a weird yeah, way. Yeah, yeah. The manipulation of the the religious right into you know crazy political uh, power. Yeah.
2: I mean, are you, do you have any regrets about not, about skipping college? Like, do you wish you had, like, is it, is it going to be hard for you to tell your kids you better go to college?
3: Um, what would have happened in a sliding door universe where, mm. you know, I do think sometimes what I could have, would have, should have done after high school, when I graduated was not go straight into college. Yeah. Yeah. Take a year off, travel, experience life in a different way, and then maybe go to college and uh, and really dive in headfirst with what I want to study. But then I realized, no, it's just actually not for me. Mm-hmm. And it, it started even before college. In high school, I had a real tough time. Even in grade school, I had a real tough time concentrating, you know, back to the ADHD. Um, and my mind would wander in class, and it was almost like I had narcolepsy in any kind of school environment. Whenever mm-hmm. it felt like traditional education, I fell asleep, and I fell yeah. asleep all the time. And uh, one time, the teacher uh, at high school, I was at Crossroads School of, for the Arts and Sciences.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: I think I was in 11th grade. Uh the teacher... the The science teacher, chemistry, got so sick of me falling asleep in class, he told the whole class, everyone stay totally quiet. Now leave everyone, because the class is over. Instead of everyone getting up and loudly leaving. Yeah, everyone left the classroom super quiet, so I was still sleeping on on the desk. And then he told everyone coming in for the next class, everyone come in quiet, Jack's asleep, and I want to surprise him. So everyone came in and sat down, and the class started... And at some point I like woke up and looked around and I was confused because I didn't, why, who, why I'm not in class with any of these students. These are all seniors. Um, what am I doing here? And then the laughter began and they all laughed and pointed at this silly sleeping boy. Oh, and the, the professor was the most l- filled with laughter and glee, red faced and oh. pointing. And I deserved it, you know, but. Also, maybe I didn't deserve it. No. Maybe there's a reason I was sleeping. I, not just laziness, but some people take in information differently. Right. Uh, and he some never people should sle- go to college.
2: He never slept again.
0: <laughs> Did you know Bridgestone developed a tire using 75% recycled and renewable materials? making a difference today for future generations. That's what really matters. Bridgestone, solutions for your journey. Visit whatreallymatters.com to learn more.
1: You haven't heard about the McCrispy yet? Well then, you probably haven't heard the sweet silence after the first crispy bite either. Go try it for yourself to hear the best not sound you've ever heard. Can't you tell my love's a crow?
2: Well, no. I mean, yeah, you're right. It's it. it that's kind of shitty. Like, like pranking. Like a, to prank a kid and make a kid feel embarrassed in front of a bunch of people. I think they should teach you in teachers' college. Don't ever do that. Don't yeah. ever humiliate a kid. Like that's just the you know. It's just the worst. You know. Yeah. And and. It happened to me a couple times and I, and it's just like, and I still think about it. It still is like a fucking, you know, finger on a, on a toothache, you know, it's just like, ow. Yeah. Every time I think about it, but you know, you got to remember too, they're high school teachers. There's like, you know, they're, they're, you see them, like I see them with my kids, you know, going through high school. I see the teachers that kind of are, you can tell they sort of get off on the fact that they're like pretty cool in relation to these children you know <laughs> like you know what i mean like i'm yeah. i'm pretty suave and sophisticated compared <laughs> to these 15 year olds yeah you know so
3: but when it when it comes to like the the lessons and the things that i took from school that i remember i don't remember any of the actual yeah nuts and bolts but uh I do remember when my English teacher was like, uh, "Look, you're not doing well in this class. Uh, here's what I want you to do so you can get a passing grade. You and Shannon, another actor uh, student in my class, you guys go and do uh, learn this scene from Sam Shepard's. Uh, what was True that West. play? True no, West. it was the one with the with the two lovers that that were had a tumultuous relationship. Fool for Love." Okay, do a scene from Fool for Love and bring it into class and perform it live, and if if you do it well, I'll give you a passing grade in the class. And me and Shannon went and rehearsed at her house this scene, and we rehearsed the hell out of it, and then we came into class, and we kicked so much ass, and I was so thrilled with the performance, and then he was like, stay here. I need you to do this performance for the next class that's coming in. He loved it so much he wanted all of his students to see it, and I just learned so much from that performance. What a great teacher
2: yeah, it was great and
3: and i that's a like a core memory for me. It was a a, a great lesson in how I take in information and how I actually learn on the job so much more than studying it in a book and um and that guy, you know what's this is a weird name droppy thing. I can't remember his name, but I do remember one thing about this teacher. There was a great English teacher. He was the youngest kid in the Partridge family. He was that actor.
2: Oh, wow.
3: He grew up, and I, I could look it I up can on Wikipedia. I can
2: picture his face, but I can't, yeah. you know.
3: <laughs> but he grew up and became a great English teacher. But wow. Um, and there's a few things like that throughout my my schooling where I think about, oh yeah, but that's where I really learned a lot. Oh.
2: Brian Forster. That's the one. Brian yeah. Forster. Shout out to Brian. Great teacher. Great teacher. Yeah. And do you think, do you think that part of like, and I just, just I'm just curious because is there something about a teacher? Uh, it Was there something appealing about it? The fact that this teacher took you out of the mainstream and tailored something particularly to you? Like, was that the beginning of what was special about it? Do you think?
3: I think, um, he just gave me a chance to communicate, uh, 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 a powerful emotion and what great writing can be. And, and what it what it means to 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 put on a show with great writing, it's yeah. like a it's an essential part of the 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 work. The Sam Shepard thing on the page is one thing, but when you have an actor who's really feeling emotions connected to it, it transforms it into a whole different experience and brings the piece to life in a way that it it, it has to be to experience it properly. You know, like yeah. You can read Shakespeare till the cows come home, but until you see a great performance of it, uh, it that that's the thing—the final essential piece to communicate what's happening inside of it.
2: Yeah, see, I'm not a big Shakespeare fan. I, oh man, I, uh, it's just it, it's lost on me. I I read it, I've seen it, I've seen real big, great productions of it, and I just don't get it. I just,
3: I guess you haven't seen uh, Henry the <laughs> Fifth. Yeah, I I that one will change your mind.
2: Have. All right, I'll be right back with what's his name.
3: Oh, he <sighs> did a great job.
2: What's his name?
3: Yeah, he's a British guy. Come on. Oh, one of those British guys. Sure. And he has that Brian, speech in Brian there Brian Forrester. <laughs> There's a famous speech in there.
2: <laughs> uh, my horse, uh, St. Crespin's Day. Oh. Everyone, we're going into battle.
3: And if you care about forsooth, th- I <laughs> shall say
2: St. Clair's Men's Day. <laughs> something like that. Something like it's yeah I, get, yeah, I get the gist. I get the gist. In my in the research that uh, somebody else, I don't research this stuff myself. Uh, there was something about Ann Bancroft giving you great notes after a high school thing. That was
3: a big one for me. Yeah. Um, so Anne Bancroft's son and Mel Brooks's son together, uh, Maximilian Brooks.
2: Who has been went, a guest on this podcast. Oh, my God. Yeah, because now he's, you know, like a, he wrote all those zombie books. Did you read yeah. any of his zombie books? Yeah. Yeah. He's a They're, brilliant writer. He's a brilliant writer. And now he's like, he's like, you know, goes around, um, you know, like uh, 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 lecturing and, and consulting about like disaster, you know, contingencies uh just because i see
3: him sometimes i'll see yeah yeah and he's consulted so by
2: much.
3: yeah you but know? he's consulted by by uh the military about yeah. possible scenarios because yeah, he's yeah. able to you know creatively imagine uh horrible horrible uh things in science fiction future
2: yeah
3: um but also you'll see him sometimes on the real time with bill maher Mm-hmm. Uh, and you you gotta you gotta be ready with knives out to go on that show because uh sometimes bill will turn on you and you gotta be ready yeah. with your shield right because he'll gut you <laughs> in front of millions and he has no fear because he can yeah. hold his own with anyone on any intellectual level and i'm very
2: impressed with him right and he does he also has the invincible quality of not giving one shit whether you like him or not nope yeah like he does not care at all about
3: well, oh, you know, like we were saying about how how powerful it is when you got loving parents that actually really dig you and give yeah. you encouragement early on. I have no doubt that he got that from Anne Bancroft because I got I'm not her son, but oh, I I meant, got a little... I meant Bill
2: Maher. I, I was talking about Bill Maher. I thought you were talking about Bill Maher. <laughs> <laughs> Never mind. I, I, no, I switched. Okay. <laughs> oh, you switched. OK. <laughs> All right. Because I was like, I didn't mean that about I, I, Max, I think, wants to be like. Uh, you know, yes. and my impression is that it doesn't, he is human and wants to be liked. So, okay. Yeah. Anyway, gone with Max and his mom. No,
3: Bill yeah. Maher, I would suggest has the opposite. He, he thrives on not being liked. He gets yeah. a little charge out of it. He gets a little sexual charge out of it. Mm. You know, oh, you don't like what I'm saying and you don't like me. Well, fuck you.
2: And, and then, then people little, love him for it. And a there's a little slide weird... whistle. <laughs> he's getting a little bit of wood, a little bit of but, wood. Uh, but
3: uh, yeah, so Max Brooks uh, had rad parents who were loving and supporting of him. And But beyond that, I was in a play at at uh, my high school called The Miracle Worker, famous uh-huh. play. Uh, Helen Keller can't see or hear or speak, and, and she is kind of brought into this world through communication that, that all the doctors said was impossible by this miracle worker, who played, uh, who was played in the movie by Anne Bancroft brilliantly. Mm -hmm. And so we're doing a play of the miracle worker and Anne comes down. She doesn't have to do this because Max is not in the play. She just comes down because, you know, she was in the movie and she said, hello, I heard you were doing this play. I wanted to come and say hi to the cast and tell you all, you know, a little bit about my experience in that movie and, It was just so sweet and wonderful and and gave us a little insight as as to how we would perform the show. God dang it, I'm getting a phone call. I I forgot to do the thing. Let me turn that off and do not disturb. Was it Biden? It was Joe Biden, my best friend Biden. He can wait. (laughs) Um, So she comes to the show uh, and is so... Sweet. And she comes backstage and tells everybody what a great job we all did. And she said, you know, you played the 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 role that uh everyone said was a thankless little role, a nothing role, and you really brought something to it. And I was like, Oh my God, thank you. And then I got home and she had left a message on our answering machine at home. And she said, Jack, I didn't want to say this in front of everyone, but born to do it. You were born to do it. And it was so moving. And I listened wow. to that answering machine message until it wore out the tape cassette. Yeah. It was like 150 times. And I made a tape of the tape. And it's just weird how sometimes a little word of encouragement can mean so much and take you to another level. Just that that boost of self-confidence that I got from that was I can't, I can't really overstate how much it meant to me. Yeah. Isn't that weird?
2: Yeah. That, I mean, that is, that's honestly, I bet that's probably, (laughs) that makes it okay to not go to college. You know, I bet, you know, it's probably like one of those things where you've always got that in the back of your head, you know, because, and also too, when you want to be an actor college, eh, you know, it's like, I always feel like you learn so much more by doing than studying and especially in acting it's especially in film and television, you can do a million classes and, but you learn more from like three days on an actual professional set acting and actually learn about what it all really is and how to do it and, and what's important about it. Um, you learn so much more by just getting paid to do it, uh, and being in a professional atmosphere with other professionals, you know? Um, it's a
3: high wire act, and there's tons of adrenaline involved. Yeah, and uh, there's no classroom that can really uh, re- recreate that that kind of environment. Yeah, I would go off and and do a play with my friends outside of the school in front of real audiences, and and uh, yeah, I grew leaps and bounds, and and got so much more out of that experience than any of the any of the classes that I had. Truth be How- told
2: throughout you know uh as you as you progressed in the in this work how do you deal with uh self doubt because it's uh, you know it's almost like a necessary you know accompanying feeling to like you said it's a high wire act and high wire acts involve falls and there's always a fall that could be right around the corner um Not that high wire acts have corners; it's usually just one straight line, but <laughs> you get the idea. Yeah, uh,
3: self doubt is a—it's a demon that uh, must be faced. And in fact, I get it before every performance, even if I'm feeling real confident about the material or or about you know the song. If we're if me and Kyle are going to go perform some music somewhere, I just. Uh, it's a kind of a running joke that I have with Kyle gas of tenacious D before we go on stage anywhere. We always, uh, we look at each other with terror and we're like, uh, is there some kind of a loophole? Is there some way we can cancel the show <laughs> and blame it on something? Blame yeah. it on the loophole. Yeah. And, uh, because no matter how much we love it, there's always that little bit of dread right before you go on stage because, um, uh, there's a fight or flight aspect to performance, to live performance where you really want that attention and you want that love and you want to put on a good show and make everyone laugh and have a good time. But it also is just a big crowd of people and they could judge you and they could conceivably turn on you. Mm -hmm. Uh, And there's always that little tiny seed of fear that you're not going to be accepted and you're not going to be liked. Uh, or you know maybe you're even afraid that what if I'm nervous when I go out there they'll sense my nervousness it's like they're a big wild animal if they sense your fear then they'll kill you yeah and sometimes it's irrational it's like no that's just um but uh I have to just remind myself no matter how bad how how bad I think it how bad like because you'll wake up someday and you'll get ah uh, this doesn't feel like a good day feels like a bad show day. Feels like today is the day that I go out and shit the bed. No matter how much you feel like it's gonna suck, you have to admit to yourself it's possible that it could go well. Yeah. You know what? It's actually possible that I'm going to go out there and have a great time. As hard yeah, to imagine yeah. as that is and then once if you can like convince yourself that it's possible, <laughs> not that it's definitely going to be good that's that's off the table probably even yeah just possible. yeah there's a small chance that this could turn out well and more often than not it does turn out well you know it's just a weird thing that you have to fucking talk yourself into isn't that weird that's why really to do this you have to love it so much that feeling of when it goes well that it's worth all of the anxiety and ulcers and nausea mm-hmm. <laughs> and nightmares that go along with it because it ain't easy, yeah. Mm, well, yeah. it's,
2: it's, I mean, it is really, really fun, and it yeah. is, it's not even, I, you know, to me, it's more, well, because I got, you know, I, you you're used to like a much more higher energy performance than the things that I've been doing for the last 11 years or so, you know, like going on the Conan show is like, Oh, go out there and crack wise. You know, it's like, you know, I mean, I would have bits to act in that I would feel a little charged up about and hope that they went well, but we did so many of those shows that it kind of, we did such a volume business that I was never too precious about any one of them. You know, so mm-hmm. I got, and I know and it was very, uh, for me too, it's also the place that it's at. If I'm comfortable with the place, I'm comfortable. If it's a new place and new people, then I'm like, oh, fuck. I I think I might suck. I think that this is, this is all, this has all been a trick on me, like making me believe I can do this. Um, but I, I, uh, I do think that, um I forget what I, I, forget what my point was, but well, I, I have I just, a point.
3: I, I've been waiting for my turn to talk for a second here because oh I my just want to I'm say so sorry. that your bits are funny and all of the, the, like the things that you guys have done over the years have, has always consistently made me laugh. But the thing that blows my mind about you is, uh, you're off the cuff, like cracking wise, just in the flow. Improvisations or just like things that you'll notice and you'll say, and I always go, Man, what a mind! and I'm always blown away by your the brilliance of your uh, uh, just in the moment things that you say. Oh, thank you, and that can't really be planned for, that just has to be you just actually relaxing in the moment and making observations.
2: Yeah, yeah, it's well, it's like you know, it's it's um, I just talked to I was on uh, Justin Long's podcast, and we talked a lot about it. And it is it's a kind of not caring that's not the same as not caring. you know, it's like <laughs> not giving a shit, but it's not not giving a shit. it's it's giving yourself the freedom to just kind of be in there. And a big thing for me always too was like to pursue my own fun within the moment. like like to be myself and to have a good time the way that I wanted to, regardless of all the stuff going on around me, like I wanted to have fun and I wanted, and I always felt like that was a good sort of MO in order to ensure that the audience would have a good time too. And I mean, it's like why one of my favorite, like truly one of my favorite things was when we'd have animals on, like just like for me, that was like, yeah, I like doing comedy bits and stuff, but I get to pet a baby tiger, you know, Like that's like, that's that's the culmination of a lifetime's work is petting a baby tiger, you know, or, yeah. you know, or, oh, look at this giant tortoise, you know, like you can touch him and stuff. It's that's the shit that really mattered to me because I still just like I really am like I try and just. I don't know if it's like, I try, I just kind of like, I like what I like and i follow what I think is fun. And, and I think too, oh, well, what I was going to say was, so I was going to say, when you say you got to really like it and to put up with that anxiety, my anxiety isn't so much in that moment. My anxiety is in the larger scheme of how am I going to make a living in all of this how am I going to sit here when the phone hasn't rung, you know? And I had, I had 11 years of steady work through the last stretch with Conan. So I'm back to that. And that's the part where it's like, yeah, I really do enjoy this because this is stressful. This is stressful. Not, you know, like where it's like, well, another day went by where I didn't earn any money, you know? (laughs) And you're like, you you get older, those, they, those matter, you know? And, So it's, it's, but it's the same thing. It's like, I still, I still love doing this enough that like, I'm, I'm willing to stick it out. I mean, and at this point I think, what am I going to do? Get a realty license? I don't think so. (laughs) You know, (laughs) I imagine, imagine having to sell realty at this point. There's always porn. I guess. Yeah. 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 Someone would pay to see us get it on a BBM. Uh, big, beautiful men. <laughs> um, yeah, well, yeah, bear stuff. I, you know, that's, it's always, <laughs> I remember once Andy Daly and I went to Disneyland once. We took our daughters when they were little yeah. and um, we just happened to go on gay day. And yeah. and on gay day at Disneyland, everybody was like all the gay people wear red. And I think I had a red shirt on and I think his daughter had a red shirt on. So people just were looking at like these two blonde men with their two blonde daughters and like tons and tons of, of, of moms coming in and going, are you putting sunscreen on them? Like, you know, like they just assumed us to be stupid gay dads <laughs> that don't know how to, <laughs> but we went to, there used to be this all you can eat barbecue chicken and ribs restaurant that was like, uh, you know, based on, I think, Song of the South, like again, that racist the racist, oh, yeah. bears, you know. And it was it's not there anymore. I think that but it was Was like, that
3: right next to the the Bears, the country yeah. bear jamboree? Uh
2: yeah, and the petting zoo, you know, like and you know how there's like a little theater up in the woods, you know, yeah. kind of by by Thunder Mountain Railway. Yeah, and, was, and the, yeah. the the log jammer ride was all right. was all song of the south. Exactly, exactly. So it's it was right there. And it was good food. And it, they would just bring you like literal buckets of ribs and chicken. And I saw an entire like table of like 12 bare gay men, you know, big burly gay men. And they they uh, and they and were there at like 1115 a.m., you know, to just pop, to power down. And I was like, the efficiency of that, the efficiency of being a big gay dude who just is into big gay dudes. Like, yeah, let's go eat four buckets of ribs. And like, no judgments. We all both are like, oh, that's so fucking hot the way you're putting away those ribs. Yeah, you too, buddy. You know? (laughs) (laughs) I was like, oh, man, that's that's the life. That's the life only. Yeah,
3: yeah. it's a little slice of heaven.
2: Yeah,
0: yeah. Did you know Bridgestone developed a tire using 75% recycled and renewable materials? making a difference today for future generations. That's what really matters. Bridgestone, solutions for your journey. Visit whatreallymatters.com to learn more.
1: You haven't heard about the McCrispy yet. Well then, you probably haven't heard the sweet silence after the first crispy bite either. Go try it for yourself to hear the best not sound you've ever heard.
2: Can't you tell my love's a crow? Well, now um, with Tenacious D, you guys are so fucking great. Did you ever think like, uh, okay, it's just gonna be the D for me? You know, it's just like acting, schmacting. You know, like was there ever a point where you just like, maybe I should just really focus on being in a band?
3: Um, I, I've always felt like uh, I uh, I uh, I needed to do more than just music and i needed to do more than just acting i i really from the very beginning like musical theater that was the great combo but um no i've never felt like i i want to just do one thing or the other no yeah uh, yeah i've too squirrely uh yeah i'm a, more of a jack of all trades master of none yeah but uh we definitely uh enjoy doing it but we we work in in bursts and we have a slow um process we'll write a we'll write a record and we'll tour that record for a couple years and then we have to take some time off to to uh get that hunger again uh we 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 need six years between records so (laughs) that's just sort of been our process if we had to put out a record like a normal band every two years i don't think uh i don't think we'd still be doing it yeah but uh we do have a, a plan for another record and uh i'm excited for it but uh yeah, there will be no D wine until it's d time, mm-hmm. and I need to get like other gigs going in between those those six year records uh, to uh to feed the beast inside my soul. Yeah, uh, yeah, I need I need uh, different things. but uh, I know if I had focused all my powers and energies on tenacious D, maybe we could have been maybe we could have been more successful,
2: right. You could have, like, been like you too, Exactly. We yeah. could have been Pearl Jam. Yeah, they could have put your album on iPhones whether you wanted it or not. That is success, you know. <laughs> no, I don't um, think so. Have you ever done any, like, like? I mean, have you ever done any, like, Broadway musical theater? Because you have such an amazing voice. Thank you're you. You're such a good no. singer. Like, you know what's weird? Why put you in Guys and Dolls or something? I
3: just realized where I got COVID right oh, when you said cool. that we took a family vacation to New Jersey and New York Broadway. And it was on that trip. At some point I got COVID. Mm. I don't know if it was when I went to see the music man starring uh, the great Hugh Jackman, mm. or if it was at the pizza place. We went to John's pizzeria right afterwards. Right. Delicious Pizza, by the way. Yes, but filled COVID-y. with COVID. Yeah, COVID. It was somewhere in New York City. Someone sneezed at me. I don't know where and when exactly, but yeah, yeah. I wouldn't trade it for the world. That was a fun ass trip. But I have I, guess- I ever done Broadway? No, yeah. I've never done Broadway. Uh, Broadway. I did off Broadway. I was mm-hmm. in a little a little play, um, based on Bertolt Brecht's poetry. That almost no one saw called Bert sees the light. Mm. And uh, I have dreams of, of going on old Broadway. And I was definitely jealous of Hugh Jackman while he was up there. I was thinking that should be me as the music man. Well, we got trouble.
1: (laughs) And I wanted to do music man. I'd
3: always thought, man, music man should be the, the, my, my entree to Broadway.
2: You would be fantastic. Uh, did your wife have to like keep holding your arm and keep you from brushing the stage? Yes. I got to get up there.
3: Dimmer down, Jack. Shh, Jack, no. Stop it. Um Shit. and I did I did enjoy whenever I see great Broadway musicals, I think god, that would be a fun fun life. Uh I saw an incredible production of uh, Sweeney Todd. Yeah. The Demon Barber of Fleet Street. One of the That's probably my favorite musical theater uh production or piece that i think has ever been written that yeah. dude um was something special what's his name again that dude that wrote that i don't remember Stephen sondheim
2: oh yeah sondheim Genius. yeah 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 the demon bobber of fleet i don't know sondheim that well and, well, uh, that's the one. I'm okay. going to
3: say that's the one. If you're going to do one, do that one. It's the darkest and the juiciest, right. and the harmonies the mur- are insane. The yeah. And you know which other no, another one I loved? I love the producers. Yeah, the producers. Yeah, yeah. And I know. I know it was a movie first it's a it's it's kind of cheating because it's not really a musical that came it, it, the real musicals you want to say came first and then a the movie was made yeah. about you know right. a, after the stage production but weirdly the producers should have been a Broadway musical first right they did the movie but they should have made it a musical because it works as a musical in a way that the movie doesn't because the movie is a movie about a, a Musical, Right. The musical is a musical about the musical. About a musical. And so it works. It resonates h- uh, stronger on that meta, like, thing within a thing. Yeah, yeah. And uh, kind of blew my mind. Yes, do, did I miss Gene Wilder? Of course. And Zero right. Mustel. Of course. Yeah. No one can replace those guys. But it just kicked so much ass. And I was also just blown away by that Mel Brooks. Yeah. Because whenever I go, uh how, how much life do we really have left? When do you stop rocking? Yeah. You, can you rock in your 50s? Sure. Sure. Yeah. I've seen people rocking there. Can you rock in your 60s? Yeah, barely. <laughs> can you rock in your 70s? Nope. It's no, over. Yeah, Might as well so. die at 69. Yeah. But then you see someone like Mel Brooks having a fucking fifth act yeah, and blowing yeah. doors down. And then he's like 80 on Broadway. It was, it's inspiring.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Whenever you meet an old person that, like, doesn't <laughs> act like an old person, because you're so used yeah. to, and especially, like, in my own life, all the old people just, most of them suck. They just, yeah. like, you know. <laughs> They're complaining. They get, like, yeah, it they do not It sucks. They, yeah. don't, they don't, you know, like, the thing to me is they close off. They get more scared. They don't get, yeah. like, more open when it's like, hey, man, you know, yeah, the, I get it. The, it's scary. The the clock is ticking, but. Shh. <laughs> Try and force yourself open to that. Like, make it so that, like, the end you are not like, no, oh, I am just, wish, you know, like where you are in the ground before you should be in the ground. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, but yeah, no, it's great. I mean, I got to work with Robert Altman, and he was like that. He, I was Fuck just like, yeah, I'm like holy moly, this guy. What is did you so guys do old. together? It was a movie called Doctor T and the Women. It's not, it's not that great. Of Yeah, but you got
3: to hang with Robert Altman.
2: I did, and then and he was super friendly, and he he like would have dinners at his house, and then I got invited to things in New York because he lived in New York a lot of the time, Uh, and got to go see screenings and stuff, and parties at his apartment, and got to go like one of the. I got to go to his funeral. I I was asked to go to his funeral, and it was a memorial service. And one thing that was really cool about that. And I wish that there was a transcript of it. But Garrison Keeler was one of the eulogizers. And he got yeah. up and he talked about Robert Altman's experience as a young man fi- flying bomber planes in the Pacific. And they would take wow. off from somewhere in the Pacific where it'd be 105 degrees. But they'd have to wear those, you know, like sheepskin, those shearling pilot coats. Because they'd go up so high that it would be like, you know, zero degrees. They'd go from 110 to zero. And they flew these, these deadly missions. I don't remember where. Where like the survival rate was 45%.
1: Whoa. And he
2: flew like 20, 30 of these missions. as, at, as at like 20 years old. And so, and you know, and, and made it through. And like a bunch of people died. Crash landed a couple times, you know, like barely made it.
3: Robert Altman
2: did that? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and,
3: and also never talked about it. Right. I mean, that's no, not yeah. something you know about him. Didn't
2: yeah, didn't toot his horn about it, but what was real is that then he came back to Kansas City and started making Industrial Films and started smoking weed in people's offices and not giving a fuck about anything because it's like motherfucker you're going to tell me like I can't make this movie the way I want to make it. I look death in the face at the age of 20 repeatedly. Yeah and you're going to tell me like i can't say fuck or i can't like have <laughs> nudity or i can't do this sex scene or i can't record multiple voices at once you know like and it just that was like that was really you know it was just really striking to me and made me feel like yeah that's that's a kind of i he was he was a hero of mine before like you know artistically yeah. and then as i got to meet him i just was like this is you know and he had his family working for him like a bunch of people on his his kids and different family members worked for him on the set and they were all capable professionals but he just like he just i was like that's how to do it like the way he That doing. puts
3: a whole other spin on Mash the movie yeah. that he directed that led to the TV series that ran yeah. for years and is it true to, tell me if this is a trivia thing that you're aware of that his son wrote the lyrics to the theme song of MASH.
2: I think he did. I think one of them did, yeah. And
3: they're not on the TV show. You don't hear any lyrics on the TV yeah, yeah. show, but
2: I think he did. Or or was that or was it one of the carades? Yeah. Or
3: was it one of the
2: carotines? Or is that I'm easy. Oh, it doesn't well, matter. Whatever. Yeah, the thing look is up, folks. that
3: um that story blows my mind, and I have a connection to that story because my first movie, uh, Bob Roberts, that I was telling you about, Tim Robbins yeah. directed, went to the Cannes Film Festival, and uh, I was not invited because I had such a small part, but my dad lived in Cannes at the time, and I was like, Dad, I'm coming to Cannes to visit you, and then really I was sneaking into the the premiere of Bob Roberts in Cannes Film Festival and had the best time uh, after the the screening premiere in Cannes, Tim was like, Come Jack, Jack, come to we're going to the top of the mountain. There's a there's a we're we're gonna have a little uh, after premiere party. And it's nighttime at the top of a mountain in Cannes at some some rich guy's mansion, and I'm out on the veranda smoking a joint with Robert Altman, Tim yeah. Robbins, and Giancarlo Esposito, who is also wow. And it was a, an incredible memory and a moment that I was just like smoking a joint with legends.
2: Yeah. Yeah. He uh, would every night after work. Cause he it was very important to him that everyone watched dailies. So when you were done wow. shooting and they were very, very like humane hours, you know, like eight hour days, nine hour days, yeah. uh, you'd all get together in this big screening room that one of his sons, uh, perfected screening rooms, like the right angle and the right projector and the right distance. And we would watch it and there'd be snacks and he'd just be smoking joints, watching it, you know, or at we on weekends, he'd have parties at his house, big, you know, like big dinners for the cast and stuff. And he'd be watching, this was in Dallas. He was in a rental house and he'd be watching like six different football games at once and have money on all of them. And, Like complicated, <laughs> like I parlayed the you know the Giants in with the Cowboys, and if the Packers lose, then the Jaguars have to win, and like all these complicated bets, just you know, just pursue his own joy. What
3: incredible life, yeah. And t- and that he was he was at Cannes because he had directed The Player, yeah, a brilliant movie about the Hollywood industry that Tim was also that in. Tim
2: is in, yeah,
3: and uh. Yeah, I always wanted to party with Bob Altman after that yeah. and we never I never got to be in any of his movies, but tragically um he he did call me one day oh, wow. many years later and said I think it was like actually 10 years later or I don't know. He he said I want you to be in a movie. I want you to play this part. It's going to be a a a an adaptation of a documentary that i really love called hands on a hard body i want to bring that to life in a movie and i was like i'm in and jack white was gonna was gonna do all the music for it and i was like this is fucking rad and then he died and i was oh. so crushed not only that i was not gonna be in a fucking robert altman
2: movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah but also
3: that you know this super cool awesome guy was gone off the planet.
2: Yeah.
0: What a life. Yeah. What a crazy life.
3: You know what he reminds me of? And I never met the guy, but did you ever meet that improv? um, Del Close? Yes. The genius
2: Del Close. Yeah. I took classes with Del.
3: No shit. Yeah. Yeah. Did they have, am I way off? Did they have any kind of similarities just in energy?
2: Yes. In energy. Yes. But I mean, um del was del wa- Dell was brilliant and a great teacher, and really you know thought about improv and was completely devoted to it, but he was a complete mess you know he yeah. like he could barely you know like he couldn't he could barely hold together an apartment you know okay, whereas so that's a total robert different. yeah whereas Robert Altman you know ran movies you know and right was, and you know and did did that you know like not only just directed the movie but like was constant, you know, like all his movies, he had to go get the money first. He yeah. had to go talk to, and I, I think the way that everything was done was that he'd go secure like, because his movies did so much better overseas, that he'd secure all this kind of foreign money and then get the movie started and then ha- and then be still trying to get money while he's making the movie, you know, like just, like get enough money to start, you know, to get the balloon off the air, but then like to keep Fuel in the burner, he had to keep pushing. You know,
3: that sounds like chaos to me. That yeah, <laughs> sounds yeah, like yeah. A, an enormous amount of stress and anxiety. But he was able to navigate it because, yep. like I said, he didn't give a shit. He didn't and give so a shit, and he had people helping him. he bet the parlay him. on five different football games, yeah, and it yeah. sounds like chaos, but no, because he's a brilliant professor, he's able right. to navigate through, and also who cares if it all fucking explodes right, and goes the right, right. hell. It was and fun. that's what I felt like Del-, Del Close was also, even though his life was more shambles, Yeah, he was like in the middle of a horrible chaos, but he was able to like find some brilliance because he's this wizard professor at the yeah. end of the day. yeah, yeah. I guess um, maybe it's just because they're two old dudes with beards. Maybe that's the only reason I think of them. <laughs> well, no, they're both similar. They're
2: both kind of gurus. They're both kind of visionaries. They're both, you know, very inspirational and inspired a lot of people beneath them. So, yeah, I mean, it is similar. That's the thing with Del
3: Close that I'm obsessed with is that he's touched so many great performers and uh, yourself included over the decades. I don't know that there's another teacher. Uh, certainly of improvisation that has has crossed paths with so many unbelievable talented you not in Im- yeah know, not in
2: purely an improv comedy no um no yeah I
3: and i don't so. know that much about him he never wrote a book there's not a ton of footage of him uh and and so he's just this weird mysterious force of nature that you hear people talk about him but He's just sort of a, a a mysterious figure in my yeah. In my... There's
2: somebody made a documentary about him, a guy, uh, a Chicago guy. I can't remember his name, and um, and his his business partner, Sharna Helper, and she wrote she wrote a book, uh, Truth in Comedy, that was kind of based on all his stuff, mm-hmm. you know, and and that was kind of like she, but she sort of like you know, she kind of literally picked him up out of the gutter and said. You know, here here's an apartment. Come teach well, classes, and she kind of you know kept him alive to keep him teaching. You know, uh, yeah. So, but anyhow, that's none of this is about you. This Sorry, is what we're here for. That's all right. I went off track. We've been talking a while here. Um, How about the second question? You ready for the second question? Hit me. Where are you going?
3: Um. I mean, right. well, no one knows where they're going. No one knows where they're going, first of all, with the, with this question. But, uh, you know, the, there's the, if I had to look into my crystal ball and tell you where I think I'm going, or I'd like to be going, I'd like to watch my boys graduate from high school and, uh, follow them and watch where they go on life's journey. And, uh, and I'm definitely going to worry about them and, and, uh, and, uh, and uh help them whenever they let me but i i uh i can't help but like but uh but have anxiety about my boys in the in the dangerous strange world ahead of them <laughs> yeah and i and i wish for them to have like love and joy and and a great adventure and i know that when i was a kid i i I, I didn't know what, what life had in store, and I ended up having uh a, a incredible, lucky, fun-filled and, you know, ups and downs, but it's a weird thing. When you have kids, you're like, if there's a crapshoot element where you're like, you want all the great things for them, but you don't know how it's going to go really, Uh I remember for for many, many, most of my life, I was like, I'm not having kids. It's too much stress. I remember my parents when when they got their divorce. It was just like, oh, why would you want to put yourself through all of that turmoil? And yeah, it's just easier not to have them. But then at a certain part of my life, I was like, I want to have some. I want to have that in my life. I want to have a, a family and a and a a sense of shared love and and like a and uh, and it pulled me into this world that now it's everything to me. And yeah. uh, and I don't know uh, when it's right to like say, no, let them go on their journey and don't try to control them too much. Cause if you try to keep them safe too much, uh, then you're doing them a disservice.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: But anyways, you in you the future, know. where am I going?
2: Yeah. You never know. I mean, like, I have a 21-year-old son and a 16-year-old daughter. So I'm, like, a few years... Because your oldest is 16? Yeah, 16 yeah. and 14. And, well, first of all, with the, I, I don't know if you've noticed this, but with the first one, and I even told my son this a few years ago, I was like, listen, everything that we did with you, we had no fucking clue. Because you're the first. Yeah. Like, we didn't... We don't know. You know, you're the first one that we had that was, like, 10. You're the first one that we had that was 12. You're the first one that we had was going to college. You're the first one that drove a car, you know, I don't know, you know, like how much do I yell at you while we're driving the car and you're fucking up, you know, like how much do I be quiet and let you learn on your own, you know? And so the first one, you don't know, you know, it's like, uh, I'm sure somebody else made this up, but I heard it first from Kelly Ripa. Like she said, kids are like pancakes. You know, you're going to ruin the first one. Um, <laughs> and, um but I, it, but, I'm dealing with it now, where I and I, I've, I've talked about it. Where, you know, you you want to make yourself to where your kid doesn't need you. Like that's your job. It's like to yes. make it so that you're not like you're you're making an independent creature. So you're you're trying to avoid their dependence on you as much as you can. But there comes a time when it comes time to where like oh he's no he's leaving. And you're like, oh, really? Is that really the deal? No, is that you're going to just go off then. You're just going to go and not be my baby anymore. And it's kind of like, yeah, yeah, that's what he's going to do. And and it's, it's really hard. And you got to, you know, and then like the... And also you can't do much to ensure one way or the other, you know? They're going to like... If he's going to make mistakes, he's going to make mistakes. If he's going to be like a wildly successful, he's going to do that. And if he's going to, you know, fall on his face, he's going to fall on his face. And all you can do is like be like there to like, I don't know, make dinner for him afterwards, you know, (laughs) and just, you know, let him watch your cable, uh, because there's not a lot you can do and you just have to... Your job, I think, at the, or I I'm, should I'm, my job, I feel like now, now I got to fill my life. Like the spaces that were filled with kid and taking care of kid and worrying about kid and, and you know, raising kid. I got to fill that with something else. I got to figure out something else to put in there. And that's my job rather than just go like, oh, this empty space. Because I mean, you know... <laughs> There, there's definitely, I felt in my life from, you know, like from people, uh, adults that were from when I was a child that were like, oh, the empty space, where are you going? And it's like, well, that, I thought this was the deal. I thought I was supposed to go out and, and be on my own. And it's like, yeah, you are, yeah, you are. And it, and it, yeah, and it's not, it isn't fun, but, you know, at least you have a band. You know yeah. how your kids go off and they go to college, you can just go fucking tour with your, you know.
3: I like to say that when land. my when my boys leave the nest, my empty yeah. nest is just gonna turn into a, a 24-7 gymnasium. <laughs> and I'm gonna get in the best physical condition of my life. Sure. I'm gonna finally the, be able to focus. They're yeah. the thing that's getting back. They're the in ones the holding me back. Yeah. I'm always eating those snacks that I'm making for them that they don't eat.
2: That's right. why. That's why. I got all Uh, this shitty food in the house for them. That ice cream, that's for them. And yeah,
3: there will be another Tenacious D. I think that the Tenacious D thing, there's going to be a Tenacious D album every six years until I die. And that uh, will happen whether or not there's an audience, even if it ends (laughs) up just being for ourselves. Right, for for
2: the day room at the home at the end of
3: the day, we enjoyed doing it. We enjoyed yeah, putting yeah, on a yeah. show for whoever's there. You know, if it's, uh, do
2: your you know, boys, maybe do your boys care about show business at all? They
3: do enjoy, uh, partaking in different, uh, movies and, and music that, uh, yeah, I'm not really, uh, part of, they're not into anything that I'm in anymore. Yeah, Cause that's yeah. just not cool. No, it isn't. Um, but uh i love to watch the the things that they get obsessed with and i'm like oh i actually know a couple things about some of those filmmakers so it's fun <laughs> to still be able to share hey uh <laughs>
2: i saw that guy puke <laughs>
3: <laughs> but um there's a uh, yeah also i'm going to probably make one more movie everything that i'm going to do is just the last one at yeah. this point The future is just, uh, I'm going to do one more thing (laughs) uh, in each category. Yeah. And uh, I look forward to retiring into the retirement home because my fantasy is I'm just going to play video games all day. Yeah. Because I never play as much video game. I don't don't hardly play video games at all anymore because I always feel like, who has time? I got to get all these things done. I do look forward to the time when no, I don't have to get anything yeah, done. Yeah, yeah. I'm in the I'm in the home, yeah. and I'm just playing Red Dead Redemption Part Seven. Maybe that's not going to happen, but that's my fantasy. And I bet you there's going to be a lot more video games in the coming years as we come sure. to the generation, the video game generation.
2: Right? You just Those... plug right into your neck, and then you won't even have a controller. <laughs> you just be laying like a puddle of sauce. You know, playing a video game in your mind.
3: Well, you remember that movie that Robert De Niro and uh uh, uh what was it?
2: Kaylee Cuoco. <laughs> forget it. No, <laughs> uh,
3: where they they had the uh, the old folks home, and they only responded to when you played music that they enjoyed in their twenties.
2: No, I don't. That, I don't
3: remember. Oh, okay, that forget it. Anyway, Awakenings. that's what I'm. Awakenings. Thank you, awakening, Matt.
2: Matt just put that in the chat.
3: That's Thank gonna you, be Matt. what it's like for me. That I just I'm totally catatonic until you know, like you put on Dio. You put on Dio and uh, a screen with with asteroids, the video game. <laughs> and I'll be like,
1: I'm <laughs> reactivated. Uh, let me add it.
2: Yeah. The future. Well, Who the
3: hell knows about the future?
2: I know, I know. Well, what about what have you learned? That's the third question. I just slid right. This is the, the, the
3: hardest one. one. What have I learned? Yeah. Um, and I was thinking about it
2: last night. It doesn't have to be profound. I mean, Padgett Brewster, one of hers was uh you can sharpen scissors by cutting tinfoil. Which oh. I was like, oh, that's pretty good. You know, I and didn't it does know work. That. I tried it. I tried it. And That's it does a great work. thing. Yeah.
3: That's a great thing. Um, I learned uh, the mantra before uh, going on stage or going out in front of a, an audience. This is going to sound like bad advice. Always remember to pretend to have a good time. And then oftentimes that'll lead to good stuff when you're out there. It doesn't have to be. You don't have to be having a good time. But if you can pretend to, like, be enjoying yourself, sometimes it'll lead to actually enjoying yourself. hmm That helps me to stay out of the vortex of terror.
2: Yeah. That's a pretty good one, too. And, I mean, and it's a kind of a, you know, it's kind of a Norman Vincent Peale positive attitude. But it's, you know, it is true. It's, I remember, you know, I I um, I was directing a television commercial for Illinois Lottery, and they had... And that I was in too, but they had a guy from the Blackhawks, uh, a, a hockey player off to the side, reading some copy for some B-roll kind of stuff uh, for the lottery. And they said, oh, they pulled me over because I was doing something else. And they're like, he's reading this copy. It was like an agency guy. And he was like, he's really, it's just not very lightful. It doesn't have a life to it. And I went and I listened to him read it once. And I said, smile while you say it. And and he because and he, it was just going to be voiceover, like at the end of the commercials. And they were just doing it off on the side of the studio. And which is like something that, you know, I'd learned in doing voiceovers. But when you smile, it makes you sound a lot more upbeat. And he did it. and And it sounded great. You know, and like it just like you put a big fake grin on your face when you're reading something. And it just makes it sound better. You know, it just makes it's it sound true. more upbeat. And and it's that's kind of like. In a microcosm, like, that's make it till you fake it. That's like, you know, that's like, just put a smile, like, smile while you say it. And just, and I mean, granted, I don't mean be a Pollyanna and, and let bad things happen. But I mean, you know, but like, just kind in your regular life, if you're feeling like it's a little flat, you know, smile while you say it. And then it that also isn't like the gross kind of like, come on, honey, put on a smile for me. You know, I don't no. mean like that. You know, it just means like. Yeah, you can kind of fake it till you make it. You can kind of force a good feeling, yeah. you know, like like out of just will. And maybe you don't, but it's better than just succumbing to the darkness, you know? A hundred
3: percent. Yeah. And you only have to fake it for a second.
2: And then yeah. all of a sudden it turns
3: into real joy.
2: Frequently, okay. yeah. 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 Well, you give a lot of joy. I love you so much. Oh, I, I mean, I've...
3: Feelings mute.
2: Just so much stuff that I see, like when you, uh, the stuff that you put on Instagram, I mean, Instagram is Instagram. It's like, it's infuriating me, to me most of the time. I just like sort of rage scroll Instagram most of the time. <laughs> <laughs> but But like you do so much fun stuff that is just pure fucking joy. And it's really such a service. And I'm so grateful oh, for your presence in the universe and Dude. especially for your presence here, man. It's really great.
3: Oh my God. I mean, I uh, it was a no brainer when I got the call to be on your show. I was like, "This is happening!" As Good. soon as I get a window, I'm Thank going you. in. Thank because, you, because uh, yeah, from the beginning, I've always loved, always loved your work, and then always loved hanging with you over the years. We've had lots of times where we've crossed paths. Yeah, and uh, it was awesome to share this this day, this uh, this podcast with you. And feel free, dude, seriously, feel free. Cut out all the parts where I was boringly rambling too long. No, no. Trim it.
2: We're going to cut out the interesting stuff.
3: Just fully
2: lipo yeah. out all. Yeah. It'll be me me asking <laughs> questions and you going, uh, da, da. Do it. Whatever <laughs> you feel awesome. is right. All right. Well, thank you, Jack. And thank all of you out there for listening. Uh, I'll be back next week with another person. Not as good as Jack Black, though.
3: You you say that to all the podcasters. the podcasters. On my imagination,
1: I've got a big, big love for you.
0: The Three Questions with Andy Richter is a Team Coco and Your Wolf production. It is produced by Lane Gerbig, engineered by Marina Pice, and talent produced by Galitza Hayek. The associate producer is Jen Samples, supervising producer, Aaron Blayert, and executive producers, Adam Sachs and Jeff Ross at Team Coco, and Colin Anderson and Cody Fisher at Earwolf. Make sure to rate and review the three questions with Andy Richter on Apple Podcasts.
1: Can't you tell my loves are growing?
0: This has been a Team Coco production. While no one knows what tomorrow may bring,